0: Welcome to Season 4, Episode 7 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the Church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And joining me for the podcast from the continent of Africa is my co-host, Patrick Reed, It's been uh, over a month since our last episode, and uh, I've been quite busy with my son's graduation. My eldest son graduated from college, so that's the excuse I have for uh, not being able to set up a podcast or choosing not to set up a podcast and helped him move to Texas as well. So, But everything's settled back down now. We're into uh, regular rhythm around here for now anyway. So we haven't gotten together in a while. So how are you, Patrick? How have you been? What you been doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing good. I mean, it's just been, you know, everyday ministry and working on projects here. And got lots of guests who have come or our guests recently. And so it's been busy. Um, we've had some. I had a lot of administrative work to do as the mission director here. Trying to get a lot of paperwork done and things like that. Um we actually just had um the official handover of our health center uh, in Ndugu Kebé to the Omega Foundation, the Omega Church and um so I was out in Ndugu Kebé for the day and had like all the alcalors of the village and neighboring village which are like, you know, kind of like a mayor I guess you could say. Yeah, the equivalent and they all came and had this big program so it was it was good we're thankful that that is moving along and god's still using that health center out there um so but it's been it's definitely been busy i'm glad we had a little bit of a break because i was i would have had some trouble making all the podcasts
0: all right well, years ago, I would have tried to find a way to squeeze them in, even if I did them by myself. But, uh, I don't know if I'm getting lazy or getting wise as the years go on, but, uh, look at my schedule and I'm like, yeah, we got to cut some things here. And, uh, this got bumped, but glad to be back at it. I'm super, super excited for you being able to get the, uh, the clinic handed over. I know that was an extremely long process. Um. And at one time y'all were at least considering the possibility of closing it all together. So that's super exciting.
1: We'll be praying that that works out. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't, we didn't really do it this way on purpose, but it it worked out well because we initially thought we were going to close the clinic and everybody out there was pretty worried about that. And now that we're handing it over to someone else and you know, they're, over they're absolutely thrilled it's not closed so i think that makes it better for rega who's taken over because you know they're they're just happy it's not closing yeah where they may have a little more resistance if we had just said well we're gonna hand it over to these these folks you know
0: right (laughs) true yeah god puts all those pieces in place just as he uh as he knows they will fit gives us opportunity to worship him and we're better off as well. Well, let's jump into our podcast episode. Uh, the question and title for our episode today is: What gets on the order of service? Um, our little crew of wise guys and a wise woman that we've that I've recruited to give us podcast ideas um, sent us this question or this issue concerning how we assemble. And um, I think Chad was the one that that said he's not saying that anything's wrong with how you know we run our services, what we do when we get together. He's talking about he said music and the sermon. But um, he said it's hard to explain. He said I'm trying to read his text message. It's hard to explain but there are people we are missing simply because they don't relate to it. So he 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 said he's saying Perhaps the music and sermon, if somebody has no context and no experience with that, then, uh, you know, is that is that the best way to reach people? And, uh, you know, what parts of our assembly are biblical? What parts of, of our assembly are just things we put in as as people? Or are they, you know, all one way or the other? And uh, he also asks concerning the focus of our assemblies, whether we're supposed to be focusing on, you know, helping Christians to grow or the unsaved to come to Christ. So he brought up a lot of issues, and Matt Taylor chimed in there a little bit as well. And um, so I think this should be a good discussion. Why don't I let you start? I've got a big list of things that normally show up in our assembly, uh, but you've gone from, first of all, you've been in several different kinds of churches, probably quite a bit more than me, as a result of being a missionary on deputation and even the fact that you weren't saved in an in independent fundamental Baptist church. <clears throat> so um, what what are some of the differences you've seen in the various churches in the States here? And especially also as you went over to Africa, um, what elements did you run into surprises, things that were more prominent or elements that we don't even include here that, that you have over there?
1: Well, I think, relating chad's question specifically and the differences that i've seen in american churches just uh on deputation and a lot of the visits we made is there are churches that maybe are a little more uh some people have probably heard of this phrase but seeker sensitive right uh, churches or those churches that are uh, trying to build their services more around reaching lost people, right? Versus churches that are more building their churches around uh, the believers that are in the church. Yep. And so you'd really see that difference uh, visiting various churches throughout America. Um, in Africa, uh, you know, there's some stark differences. Uh, there's a wide variety. Uh, the church, and now, is, is for all practical purposes not a lot not very different from grace baptist church at least as far as the, the service itself and how things did it it looks very similar in that nature um, with some differences but, but very similar yet you know you could go to another church that's uh, more contextualized reaching muslims and the building itself looks like a mosque. Um, there's no chairs inside. You sit on, you know, mats, um, the music, uh, there's no instruments uh, or anything of that nature. Um, you know, praying is done more the way a Muslim would pray though. So, in that aspect it's uh, totally different right. uh, from what you would experience in an American church. Um, so there, and, and then there's everything else in between that. Um, but uh, certainly the, the influence or the model that we use in America is heavily influenced here as well. And so you do see that in a lot of,
0: a lot of similarities. Concerning the role of the Bible in, in determining what we do in our assemblies and the role of culture or tradition, how do you, if you had to give the churches a grade, how, how do you think we're doing? Do you think what we do is is pretty much biblical, um, or is there just a lot of, I don't know, liturgical expectations and habits that um, maybe God puts up with and tolerates, but they're not prescribed in the scriptures? What do you think?
1: Well, I think. Uh, from what I've seen, and it depends, you know, it's always church to church, but it seems like there's, each church kind of has an emphasis many times in one particular area over and So if you consider, you know, the early church in the book, Acts, you know, how they were doing um, and if, you know, just the Bible as a whole, what the Bible teaches of what the church is, is and what it should be doing, I think Oftentimes, uh, certain things may be emphasized too much, and other things get emphasized too little. Um, I do uh, have some issues, I think, with the, the seeker-sensitive model, where they're trying to attract unbelievers uh, to the services. And it's not so much—I I don't have an issue with them trying to reach the lost. I think that's wonderful, and we all should. That's uh, commanded by Scripture. But I think in reality, the way, practically speaking, how it works out, it doesn't necessarily end up with a, the, the right balance and the right, um, you know, it doesn't, it, it tends to, uh, you end up with uh, believers who are very immature uh, quite often because of the way it's structured. Even though they try to do things to counteract that, I haven't seen that it's uh, been very effective. The results just haven't haven't been there. Right. And and I don't necessarily think that the, the Sunday service has to incorporate every aspect of what the church is to do because you have other days of the week. Sure. But the question is, Is are people participating the six days of the week or are you only having people participate more on Sundays? And if they're only coming mostly on Sundays and the members of the church are only on Sundays, then it does more reflect, you know, basically all the purposes of the church if that's the time you're getting people to assemble so right those are just some thoughts about the topic but I think overall the grade of churches I mean I don't think it's necessarily horrible but I think there's a lot of work that could be done and so often I think we'll get caught up in culture or traditions instead of just focusing on what the Bible actually teaches on the issues right.
0: Uh, I try, Patrick. As I'm uh, thinking about this topic, I try as best I can. I think we're all biased, uh, and we have a tendency to defend the things that we do, especially if they are things that we really like. And it's easy to find it in the scripture when we already really, really like it. And as I, <laughs> as I thought, the elements of our of our particular order of service here in Herlock, um, you know, I found examples and even commandments on almost every point that I could use to say, yeah, this is the church is supposed to be doing this. And in many cases, the church is supposed to be doing this corporately, or at least it's something that's, if it's not prescribed, it's at least described in the scripture. But I try as best I can to go back into the, into the old Testament. If, if we believe that, Uh, Christianity is just the fruition and maturation of Judaism and that Judaism was just the organization and solidification, I guess you could say of the true faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah uh, and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Um, because Christianity and Judaism, neither one existed during the di- during the days of those godly men. And Job would be another example. Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, what was worship like for those people? It certainly included sacrifice, and certainly through Judaism and the Old Testament, sacrifice was prominent. And so, I would expect that sacrifice would be should be prominent in the life of the church. And I'm glad you pointed out it's not just a Sunday thing. The church is not an event and it's not a place. It's a group of people. So what we do as individuals, what we do collectively and corporately, in my mind, I, sh- I, I would think, I would expect that it would it be a continuation, that there would be continuity from Abel all the way to you know June of 2023. And certainly, I do believe we have many elements in our assembly that are at least structured with the possibility and apparent in, intentionality of us offering a sacrifice to God. The sacrifice of praise, which should be in our prayer and should be in our praise and our, and our singing, in our celebration, and, uh, even, even in communion, there should be that element of praising God. Perhaps in our sermons too, as we describe the greatness of God and people respond. So, sacrifice of praise and then communion, which is something I heard Francis Chan talking about just the other day. Uh, he said that, you know, from his study of the church fathers, it seems that communion was central in at least the corporate assemblies of the church for a thousand years, maybe even 1500 years. And the reformers, specifically, he named Ulrich Zwingli, uh, kind of pushed communion off to the side a little bit, and he put the pulpit in the center of the activities of the church. And you know, I'm thinking, well, that kind of makes sense, though. I mean, the Catholic Church had overemphasized communion, and you got to participate in Mass or the Holy Eucharist in order to get, you know, Christ in you because they believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation. So it was, I'm sure, reaction against that. At least that's a a logical conclusion, but we still do, perhaps not enough, but we still do participate in communion, and that is at least a uh, memorial of the sacrifice of Christ, and and maybe all the other elements are, you know, connected with that too. I I haven't thought through it thoroughly, but you know, even giving an offering that you know traces all the way back to you know Abraham tithing to Melchizedek, and. You know Jacob doing the same when he said, "I'll I'll give ten percent of all that you give to me back." So sacrifice and offering in worship seemingly should be an aspect of, uh, if not every element of our assembly, certainly a prominent part of the elements of our assembly. And I think it is. I I, I mean maybe we don't do it right, so so it becomes a ritual without the sacrifice, uh, or a sacrifice without sincerity. I don't know, but. Uh, if you think generically, rather than uh, in the specific ways that we do what we do, I mean, I feel I feel fairly comfortable that we're at least attempting to go about this the right way.
1: Well, let's back up for a second and just talk about, you know, what the, the purposes of the church are, right? Right. What we should be doing. So, for example, like if we look at Acts 2.42, it says... Uh, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Um, So if you want to look at what the early church was doing, um, that's kind of a pretty good summary. Um, So you have teaching, you have fellowship, the Lord's Supper, prayer. And then I would add from some other uh, aspects of the Bible, uh, particularly in the New Testament, uh, the great commandment to go and make disciples and to baptize, right, of all nations, and music, which we see in Colossians, Ephesians, where Paul, you know, talks about we should be singing hymns and praises and songs and uh, making joyful noise to the Lord. Um, so I think those aspects are should all be incorporated um, in our assemblies, right, which generally they are. Right. But I think we'd have to say we'd have to measure how well we're doing um, each one of these purposes and adjust appropriately, right? And you'd have to ask the question and look at the measurements. but you know, are all members actively growing in maturity? If they are, then because the Bible teaches us we should all be growing in uh, spiritual maturity. And so if they are, then hopefully then we're probably doing this right. If they're not then something probably needs to change. Mm. Um, is there, you know, is fellowship regular among all the members of the church? Mm. Right. We know that um, in John, that should be happening, right? John 7. Um, and if it's not, then we need a, a job. Um, is, and I, you were just talking about the Lord's Supper, but is that an integral part of our assemblies? Or is it just like an append or something added on? right As we can clearly see and ask they had devoted themselves to breaking of bread and prayers right um so if it's an add-on to fix something what about whether all the members of the you know all the members of the church are they
0: praying yeah we want people to be praying right. together absolutely yeah and i mean then
1: you know our new disciples being made right locally around the world And is everyone participating in that? Are all the members of the church participating? Um, And does the music lead people to worship God? Mm. Um, So those are kind of the things I would measure if I was looking at, you know, are our assemblies set up in a way that are promoting those things to occur, you know, in the best way that we, in the context that you're in, because how we would do that here in the Gambia might be far different than how you do that in, herlock maryland right. um, and that's going to change i think depends on the location but those aspects what it is we're actually promoting and trying to encourage by setting up our assemblies in the right way you know that those things don't change because they're biblical right You know, so i think we should be seeing that in all of our members all of those things occurring and if they're not occurring then you know this may be a larger discussion it's maybe not just the structure of the assembly on yeah. sundays but it's the general structure of how we assemble as a church and how we operate as a church yeah
0: yeah that's a, that's a very good um, perspective and way of looking at it uh outcome based or evaluating the results would certainly fit with a scripture that says you know there's going to be a time when there will be a form of godliness but no power and so we can have the right structure, the right systems, the right elements, the right form. But if we're not seeing any results, we ought to at least be evaluating, you know, hey, are we doing this right? What, what's missing here? Uh, and it may simply be submission to the Holy Spirit that's missing because you can do the right things, you know, for the wrong reasons. Jesus um, condemned the Pharisees, even though they were doing a lot of the right things, they weren't doing it for the right reason. God judged Israel concerning their assemblies. He said, I hate your assemblies. I hate your solemn assemblies. And it was because they were farnal and selfish in their attitudes and actions outside of the assembly. So, you know, as I think, I think of the church, our purpose, uh, I believe, is to make disciples. Our mission, get the gospel to the whole world. You know, our identity, I guess you could say. Uh, is that we are the people of God. So we worship Him, we fellowship with Him, we walk with Him, we know Him, He uh, lives through us. And so, whether it's prescribed or described in the scripture or not even included at all, as long as I can say with confidence that it's somehow feeding into disciple making, you know, gospel proclamation, worshiping in spirit and in truth promoting fellowship you know among the believers and fellowship with the Father, then you know I, I'm personally I'm cool with it. I'm not saying we're doing everything just right. I think there's probably maybe a little too much formality, uh, a little bit too much um, just checking things off the list at least in our assemblies and we ought to be willing to yield to the Holy Spirit and you know include things, or exclude things, even on the spur of the moment, as the Spirit guides, and we're not always willing to do that. Um, I think sometimes, you know, we could go through our assembly without the Holy Spirit, and we wouldn't know the difference. And that's not okay, you know, because we've got all of our experience and all of our pieces in place, and so on and so forth. But I like I like what you said there—the kind of the outcome-based angle. On evaluation, I did make a list on some of the key parts of our normal worship assembly order. Uh, so I got prayer, music, preaching and/or teaching, giving, Bible reading. Which I don't know if they, I don't know if they did Bible reading in the New Testament collectively or not. Certainly that was part of the Old Testament assemblies, but maybe that had to do with uh, you know the limitations on literacy at that time. I don't know. Uh, or the limitations on copies of the Bible. That might have been part of it. Not (laughs) not like everybody had a scroll back then. Uh, Bible memorization, which may not necessarily be a corporate thing, but certainly it should be part of our lives as individuals. We have this in our current situation in our church. We have the, the practical passing along of information, which I think has to do with doing everything decently and in order. Fellowship which is not so much the general assembly, although it's before and afterwards, but we do have other elements in our week that promotes fellowship. We ought to work harder on that. Communion, baptiz- baptism, testimony giving, which we don't do much of that anymore. Certainly there's a significant place for that. I think in the assembly, uh, missionary reports from time to time, gospel invitations, those are you know, all elements. And I mean, I think all of these things I can go in the scripture and say they were doing it here anyway. So it's, it's not something that I think we should be running from. Then it comes down to what should we be emphasizing? You know, and I know in our church, I would say 80%, maybe 85%, maybe even 90% of the assembly is music and preaching. Uh, And the bulk of that is preaching. So 20 minutes of music, an hour of preaching and 10 minutes of other stuff. And the thing that stands out to me as not being emphasized as much as I, my conscience tells me we should be emphasizing it is certainly the element of prayer. I believe prayer should be a greater part than it is.
1: Yeah. I think um, if I were to look at just a lot of the places I've been to, there's been very few where i found that prayer was at least an equal part of a service yeah very few um it's usually very brief or almost an Mm add-on at the beginning at the end you know (laughs) and that's maybe it also i think uh the other thing i find in most most places and even here uh is fellowship is lacking significantly um in services and in the church in general um you know some churches are better at it than others but particularly in the services fellowship often is lacking just because of the structure of how most church services are set up yeah. um you know when you have a when you have a pulpit at the center and you have you know chairs set up all directed at the person who's going to speak at you who's ever in front um that just doesn't that environment doesn't promote fellowship. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're right. Uh, there are some tools that, that can be used to easily address that. Uh, if you set people at tables, which we do sometimes on a limited basis uh, and have them sit around tables and I've seen that done even on a mass scale recently, I saw that at champion forest Baptist church. Uh, they had a massive Sunday school class, I would say probably 700 to to a thousand people in the Sunday school class but the bulk of the area was round tables people sitting around tables and then if you if you were to punctuate a sermon with opportunities for people to discuss you know what what it is you're talking about to tell their own story about you know examples of whatever it is that you're discussing whatever biblical principle those kinds of things at least could break the ice it's not going to give the depth of fellowship that that ultimately we're aiming at but at least it would um begin to construct a platform for that so i think if you look in the book of acts there's a couple things that come to my mind you know they were in homes which certainly pr- promotes fellowship once once you come into my home and sit down on my couch uh the formality usually goes out the window and you know we begin we begin to be real with each other hey can i use your bathroom seems to uh you know Tear down walls. Uh, so, but from the house to house thing, you know, is certainly significant. They were breaking bread together. Certainly, eating seems to tear down walls of resistance that we have for letting people into the reality of who we are. Jesus ate with his disciples quite a bit, and so did the apostles. Apparently, um, so a lot more of that certainly could be constructive and improving the way we function as a church. And if the issue is, you know, Chad mentioned, people are not necessarily connected with worship music and sermons in some cases, but they are connected with eating. So (laughs) giving (laughs) more opportunities for the community to come in and, and share, share the table with us would, would make a lot of sense. But, you know, as I'm reading Acts, the church was being built at that time so i don't think we can always just take exactly what they're doing and say okay the way they were doing it with the same emphasis they were doing it is exactly what we're supposed to be doing because at the conception or at the beginning even of of the nation of israel you know there were elements of the law and elements of of their protocols under moses that did not continue once they got into the land of canaan so i think that that's uh you know, uh, an issue that we need to keep in mind. And th- even though I like Francis Chan, I think he's a great man of God. You know, he said communion was central for a thousand years or more. And, and I'm like, yeah, but also doctrine was very polluted at the end of that thousand years. So, you know, they were getting together for communion, but apparently there wasn't enough good Bible teaching going on. So and maybe he's reading something other yeah, than I, what I read.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. Well, at the same time, though, I would also say, is what we're doing is it resulting in you know what Jesus prayed in John seventeen twenty three, I and them and you and me that they may be become that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love love them even as you loved me, you mm-hmm. know, are are the members of the church becoming perfectly one? And are our services promoting that? To me, they're not, you know, they're not promoting that type of unity. Um, So let me push back something that carefully.
0: Yeah, you're right. Let me push back a little bit, even though I think you have a very valid point. It seems to me that there's two different things going on. You've got the people who are deeply committed and connected And serving and volunteering and worshiping and so forth. And I do see a oneness develop with that group. Now it's probably only 20 to 25% of the church. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's a a whole other group that because of a lack of involvement would be my assumption. Uh, they just, they don't get involved. They don't volunteer. They don't work. They don't, they're not there enough to even, you know, they're not Uh, connected with you practically speaking enough to build any depth of relationship. So it's almost like there's even within one church, there's two different groups. There's the group that's unified. uh, And then there's the group that's just kind of tagging along behind. But then I'm like, yeah, even Jesus had that problem though.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's true. Um, But I don't think it, I I think you have those people because there's a the lack of maturity and they're not growing in spiritual maturity. So then it would come back to why, what are we doing? That's not growing these people in spiritual maturity. So I would then look, you know, it, so it may be a combination of those two. So you may have a lack of fellowship or lack of unity because you have a lack of Christian maturity, right? Yeah. So why do we only have 25% of the people or whatever the number is? Why are, why are only that many people mature and the rest of them are not? Is that a problem with the service? Is that a problem with the structure or is that just the nature of what you're going to have in any given church? I don't know.
2: (laughs) Um, I want to chime in just a second, Dave. Okay. So when you, you're talking about involvement, we can't make people want to listen to the pastor preaching if they're sitting on their phones and doodling or whatever, we're doing our part in giving the message. But as a Christian, we have to do our part, you know, and how far do we want to go with learning and really diving deep in our Christian walk? And two, I mean, I I agree with David. I feel our church is more unified than it's been in a long time not with every single person but we have more people now than we have Patrick before you before you left you know that are doing more things and yeah we have just like any church you have the same people doing a lot of the stuff so i think it's i know the church has a has a part in it but you as a christian have to realize how how deep do you want to go with your walk with
0: god if that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah and she, that's, uh, go ahead
1: It's definitely true the responsibility lies on each person's side uh but just to give you an example so when i'm up preaching to a group of you know 120 people at omega church um you know it's it's like anywhere else you get A lot of people listening to you. You got other people that it's hard to keep their attention. I I haven't had anybody fall asleep like I have at Grace Baptist Church or a few other churches I've preached at, but that happens uh, uh, from time to time. But the difference, when I sit and teach in a small group, I always have everybody's attention. When there's 10 people sitting around and we're sitting at a table and we're Mm -hmm. discussing a topic about God, everybody's engaged everybody's involved it's not me talking to them it's a discussion that we're all having yeah and it's very different and you you see a lot more growth in people yeah and so i i guess my suggestion or my idea is is that maybe the method that we use where we have one person standing up and preaching the gospel or preaching you know god's word on a sunday morning to a group of 120 to 5,000 or 10,000 people or however big you know the congregation may be maybe that's not the most effective way to do it maybe there's better ways to get people engaged and um growing um, you know and being more involved I mean you're never going to get a hundred percent I think we all realize that but there might be ways to do it where we can you know have more people coming along more people engaged more people growing in their
0: faith yeah You know, Jesus uh, did teach the thousands, but then afterward he would sit down with his his disciples and explain to them in detail uh, and ask them questions about what he had just taught. Do you understand what I just taught? And of course, many times they were like, nope, we don't. (laughs) Uh, And he would, you know, he'd take them a little deeper. And hopefully we're accomplishing some of that with our grace groups. If people get involved and the people who are getting involved, you know, that's exactly what's happening. This past week I preached on, Kyria from 2 John uh, and basically John's um, encouragement to her to be a theologian, a good theologian and a defender of the faith and a teacher of the doctrine of Christ and her children as well. Well, in our our small groups and our grace groups, the discussion is, well, what exactly is the doctrine of Christ? And I went through that with two different grace groups on Wednesday of this week, and it really was tremendous discussion in, in both groups with great depth and, um, you know, I think some some important realizations for some of the people in the group. Uh, but, you know, our goal is health. So the elements of our corporate assemblies that help produce uh, spiritual health in the individuals who are there and in the relationships, our goal is health and if the church is healthy, then it will grow. People will grow spiritually and the church as a whole will grow in its impact and it will grow in its its numbers under under normal circumstances. And, you know, Patrick, going back to what you said, I think of a family, as a parent, as a father, I'm responsible for both positive and negative reinforcement. And I, I think that's something that is lacking to a great degree in our churches. If If someone is being carnal and and being dumb spiritually some believer at some point should have such a rapport with that believer that they're able to step in and say you know you got to get with the program you're you're a child of god you're not a child of satan and you're you're not growing you're just sitting here um and it's time for you to get busy right you know so there's some negative things that need to happen and also positive reinforcement. If people see the true joy of the Lord in us, and that we do love them, you know, deeply, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And that's not just a gospel passage. Uh, if if people are getting a a proper level of intense interaction on both sides, they're either going to straighten up or get out. You know, at some point. And I, I do think that's something that's horribly lacking. We we kind of have a restaurant mentality in our church, unfortunately, with a lot of people. We're just going to put the food out there, take what you like, you know, leave what you don't. And uh, we hope you will come back and, and eat here again. And that's really not the way that the church was functioning during the days of the apostles. And they didn't get it all right. You know, Jesus had his disciples fell asleep on him during the prayer meeting. And Eutychus fell asleep on Paul during his preaching. You know, So I'm not saying everything's going to be hunky-dory. We true. Can, <laughs> we can trend upward. We can be better and at least recognize what we're doing poorly and work to improve it.
1: There's uh, something I just read recently, um, and it was something I already knew, but I don't know. It just stuck out to me. How when they did a you know, you do a survey of like the United States of how many people claim to be Christian. That's like 70% of the people or something say they're Christian. Wow. Um, but then when they examined um, how many, I, I forget how they measured this. Now I've, I've lost it. I have to, I can't even remember where I found it, but anyways, they did a measurement of figured out how many people were at least in the realm of, um, evangelical christians or they measured the commitment or something of that nature i can't remember what it was right people who actually practiced what they claim they believed however they did that measurement i don't know but it was like 30 percent um so i mean we've got 70 percent of an entire country claiming the name of christian yet only 30 percent of those even do anything remotely close to adhering to the practices of Christianity. Yeah. And then of course you'd have to look at that group more closely. I mean, only God knows how many of those people have, you know, true and saving faith, but right. That's, that's just a strange reality we have in America. Yeah. And I, I don't know why that is, but to me, there's, there's something lacking. If you've got 70% of the people can, can claim a title and it, doesn't seem to be a problem with the people yeah. who are the true Christians or something, you know, I don't know, <laughs> Yeah. because do they not see a difference? I mean, how, how do you, how are you able to even get away with such a thing? It just seems strange to me. We are supposed to be so different and set apart. Yeah. And yet a lot of people are fooled.
0: Yeah. Well, nominal faith or nominal Christianity, uh, faith in name only you know, is not a new problem. That was uh, that was a problem with the Jews. They just believed because they were Jews that they were accepted with God, and, uh, and I think it comes with with peace and safety and comfort and affluence, um, whether that's material affluence or just being familiar with the the rituals and expectations of whatever religious you know sect you're a part of. And so we substitute the reality of the journey with these, you know, markers, these flags that we look at and say, "Okay, yeah, I I know where the boundaries are, and I'm within the boundaries, so I'm okay." Rather than constantly, you know, pursuing Christ and and uh, and and trying to grow in grace constantly all the way to the end of our lives, which is you know what we're all supposed to be doing. But I think we got to be very careful not to blame the people, you know, the people to blame the pastor and pastor blame the deacons. The deacons blame, blame the pastor and, and the pastor and deacons blame the people and the church blames the family and the family blames the church. You know, you know where I'm going with that, you know, what's wrong with Christianity? Well, let's see if we can just pass the buck, you know, to somebody else. Right. If we all own our part in the problem, because I'm sure we all have a part in the problem then there's hope for improvement. And so I can do my part as a pastor to encourage those who are unified in the church to be willing to do what it takes, even if it's uncomfortable, to help those who are not unified in the body to become unified as Christ prayed that we would. What gets on the order of service? Now i got to plan an order of service for this Sunday. This is convicting.
1: <laughs> well, and what I wonder is, is does the order of service really have much of an impact on this or not? Mm. I don't know.
0: Yeah. If you come at it with the right spirit uh, and from the right <laughs> angle, it might not even matter which one, you know, what the order is or which elements are accentuated because you'll be in the right place, you know, with whatever you end up doing.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, that, that one of the things i think about is music so i've been to you know a lot of different churches and i have not found necessarily it's the quality of the music Mm. that causes people to be worshiping i've been to many churches where the quality of the music most people who you know appreciate good music would say that's maybe not so good and yet yeah Everybody there seems to be, you know, worshiping God and and uh, engaged in it. And, you know, it doesn't even matter that people are singing out of tune. And, you know, it's just it's not even a very good song for that matter. Right. Um, so I, I don't know how much, you know, those things necessarily affect it versus the people that are there um, are filled with the spirit and um, are worshiping God the best way they know how.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who's getting the glory makes a huge difference. Even as we plan the order of service, how much weight do we give to what does God think of this? You know, what do I think of this? What am, I, am I putting in things that I like? This is my favorite song. Uh, am, I, am I considering what other believers are going to get from this? You know, I mean, we're going to sing an old rugged cross because that's, you know, Warren's favorite song. And what are the unbelievers going to think of this? I really believe we need to be considering all four of those, you know, questions or those identities. Ultimately, if God's not pleased, the rest of it doesn't matter. I know that. And we're there to worship him. Um, But at least asking the Holy spirit, you know, what should we be doing this Sunday in order to honor you, please you bring pleasure to your heart, uh, feed the saints and reach the lost who will be among us. Um, There's nothing wrong. I don't believe there's anything wrong with having, you know, customs and traditions and, and rituals and certain expectations that are part of the church culture. I personally don't think that's a problem, but we ought to be willing to adjust it at any time. If the spirit leads us, there's certainly a lot of that in the scripture where God comes in and says, all right, we're going to do something different today.
1: Yep. That's for sure. We have to be following the spirits leading in everything that we're doing.
0: Yep. You used to talk quite a bit about uh, God wanting to push us out of our comfort zone, and uh, I like being comfortable. So, <laughs> I like being I like being able to predict what's next. It takes a little faith to live that kind of life.
1: Maybe, maybe that's just our uh, a job as leaders, just to make people uncomfortable all the time, so God can <laughs> so so they'll they'll be more apt to listen to what God's doing.
0: Right. Right. Yep. You know, um, I meant to say this earlier. You talk about seeker-sensitive or seeker-friendly churches. Yeah. We had a podcast on here before. I think it was when Brian Moss with, was with us. We talked about uh, whether the church is supposed to be missional or attractional. You remember that discussion? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, his answer was, it's not either or, it's both and. And I think it's the same with whether we're supposed to be seeker sensitive or seeker friendly um, or focusing on feeding the saints, focusing on worshiping God. We don't have to choose. We we should be able to accomplish all of those things. We should be able to, you know, plan an element of the service in order to please God. We should be able to grow in our own faith as a result, help others to grow and be a true witness of the power of God to the lost who are among us, you know, through just how we present things, the spirit that with which we present things, even the vocabulary that we use, all of those kinds of, of things. It shouldn't be, you know, either, or at least that's my conviction.
1: Well, I think where it tends to really have an impact is, um, I mean particularly in the the sermon and the teaching because you can certainly i I would think and and i know that many churches do this they the pastor tailors their message significantly to reach lost people right um so they make it a much simpler message there's not any depth in the teaching they're trying you know they're not trying to do that and they'll even say no our sunday services are not um for You know, the believers in the church, our Sunday services are just to reach the lost, and we have small groups and other things for the believers. Um, And I think uh, while the concept seems like it should work, I think in reality, you end up with some issues because you have a large percentage of the members not going to the other things and only showing up on Sundays. Yeah. So you have like a, on Sunday mornings, you have 90% believers. Uh, or even ninety-five percent believers and five or ten percent non-believers, and yet you're tailoring your entire service to the five or ten percent of the people in there, and then you've got seventy percent that never come to anything but a Sunday morning, and they they don't get the you know the growth and maturity because they don't you know get any more in-depth teaching. Yeah. So, I'm sure yeah. there's some churches that do it better than others, but.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I I believe Jesus dealt with it by teaching in parables and everybody was interested in the stories. Uh everybody seemed to, you know, latch on to the stories he's telling, but not everybody understood them. So it was you know, shallow enough because it's a story for everybody to to listen and to be interested. It was deep enough that those who were truly his disciples could get, you know, some real meat that would help them in their, you know, their spiritual walk. So even in that, I believe, I believe if we only uh, like you're describing, if we only speak to the lost, I'm not saying we can't have assemblies where we do that. We could have evangelistic campaigns or evangelistic assemblies where we say, say to the people on this Sunday, it's just going to be the gospel. So bring your lost loved ones. But if that's all you get, if that's all you do every Sunday and you don't have a good system where people are buying into more in-depth assemblies on a smaller scale for them to, you know, dive deeper into the scriptures. Yeah, there's going to be a problem. Of course, part of that gets, Patrick, part of that gets into the definition of deeper. I think primarily when we talk about deeper spirituality, we should be talking about more commitment, more sacrifice, Uh, more sincerity and when you get those things obviously people are going to love the the depths of the doctrinal truths more as well but deep commitment is is more significantly an accurate definition i believe than you know more intellectual or more academic or more complex
1: well yeah well yeah for sure because if you just have knowledge and you're not uh doing any of those things then right well what's the what's the point
0: (laughs) yeah depth of love will certainly promote depth of understanding and then it should cycle it should be a snowball at that point and we get more understanding and it causes us to love more but you know if somebody's not surrendering their will essentially to the power of the spirit then they can learn all the principles they can learn all the complexities and you know become fat and sassy and useless (laughs) well i don't know if we answered matt and uh, chad's question or not hopefully we at least uh got them thinking and maybe they can you know speak speak into my ministry in my life and saying hey why don't we do this a little different why don't we add this why don't we leave this out and we can be better at grace anything else
1: Yeah, I don't know if we answered the question, but I don't know if there is an answer to the question. So (laughs) yeah, it's like everything else. It depends (laughs) on the circumstance and what you're in.
0: Yeah. And there's more than one way to skin a cat. So just because you don't have a formal element of prayer in the order of service doesn't mean you don't have a praying people. So, you know, I know of some, some famous influential men of God who had prayer teams who would meet outside of the congregation and spend the entire hour in prayer while the pastor was preaching. So if somebody came to the assembly, they wouldn't know that, but that prayer was obviously a very important element of the function of the church, you know, in the, in those contexts, if we were to run out of money and lose our affluence, and if we were to be hungry and if we were to be persecuted and so forth, it might be interesting to figure out at that point, what elements of the assemblies would rise to the top as being primary. And my guess is it would probably change a bit what we emphasize. Or if we had a big revival, you know, and lives are being changed, there'd be a lot of testimonies probably. Uh, If we had a big evangelistic success where God brought in a huge harvest, then obviously baptism would take a primary element and uh, basic Bible teaching would become extremely important, I'm sure. Because a lot of times, Patrick, I admit, a lot of times I'm like, okay, what have I never preached before? Right? <laughs> I got to find something that I've never preached before, uh, so that I don't, I'm not bored and nobody else is bored. And that's not always helpful. We got to go back and preach the basic truths of the scriptures. Huh?
1: Yeah, we have to be reminded of things. That's for
0: sure. Yep. All righty. Well, I guess that about does it. Appreciate you spending some time with me today. Once again, hope our listeners will pray for God to bless us as we minister. We both have decisions to make on a daily basis that impact other believers and non-believers. So keep us in your prayers that we would be wise men of God. To our listeners, whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on, be sure to let others know about it and listen to other episodes as well. As I said, this is our fourth season and this is episode seven. So there's lots of other episodes you can go back and listen to if you haven't heard them. And you can also help us by liking, sharing, subscribing, commenting, reviewing, or whatever other option you've got, uh, depending on where you have found us. And we hope that God will bless you and that you'll listen again next time. Hopefully it won't be a month before we get back together. (laughs) Appreciate it, Patrick.